Uh, guys, anyone here for the first time tonight? Helga, welcome. Tyler, first time? Welcome, Tyler. Nice to see you, man. So, guys, um, we are, we're continuing with our, our series on, <clears throat> on holiness and, and freedom, really. It's kind of morphing as we go. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to keep pushing into some issues where we hope God's going to bring freedom. Um, I, get, I get really excited um, by this. It, it, that's not to say it's easy. You know, so, sometimes um, talking about these things can be challenging and can be about us making some significant choices in our lives and uh, sometimes getting rid of, of stronghold-type ideas and patterns of behavior. It's difficult. But, um, but there's always joy and there's always freedom on the other side. So um, <laughs> let's see where we get to tonight. But I did, um, I just want to just echo what, what Matt was saying about Adam Narciso coming in, in uh, a couple of weeks. Um, he's a man that we've been friends with for 11 years, Bill, 12 years. Yeah, 2009, 11 years. Yeah, 11 years. Um, and we've been friends longer with the church where he started his ministry. Um, so, you know, sometimes God will change our plans, and Adam's always open to that. But our, but our hope is that we will be able to, we'll, we'll ask him to speak on identity, um, to push into some things that are really precious to us here at Kingdom Life. Um, so if you've got, if you've got friends who are, who are struggling with, with what it means to be a Christian, with, with what it means to be a son or daughter of God, with, with, a, with a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning, if they're asking questions around, you know, why, why, why did God make them? Why are they alive? You know, all those questions, then uh, set that time aside. We'll probably do a Saturday afternoon, evening, and then Sunday evening. So it'll be, it'll be comp- compact, but it'll be powerful. Um, so please join us for that. And we'll, yeah, as Matt says, we'll get more details out soon. Um, but last week, I, 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 had a, I said I had a few things about holiness that I wanted to say. I didn't quite get through my sermon last week. Um, hopefully I will today. Um, so I, just, I want us to spend a few minutes talking about holiness, and then I'm going to talk about uh, control. Okay. And um, I promised Matt I wouldn't tell any stories about him tonight. Um, there's a story about someone who stabs me in the back, but it's, it's, I want to be clear that it's not Matt. Um, actually, anyone in this church. Um, so I realized, you know, I've, I've talked about holiness twice, and some other people have talked about holiness, um, haven't actually ever given you a definition. Um, so being a good professor, let me do that. Okay. Uh, a definition of holiness. It's from holy. The state of being holy. Purity or integrity of moral character. Freedom from sin. Sanctity. When applied to God, holiness denotes perfect purity or integrity of moral character, one of his essential attributes. Now, obviously, when we talk about holiness in, uh, in application to people, to us human beings, we would think about holiness as purity of heart uh, or dispositions, our actions, things that we tend towards, uh, sanctified affections, piety, moral goodness, but not perfection. Now, I've, I've, kind of, I've tried to play with, the, with some tension here over the last few weeks, and I'm just going to kind of play with that again, just for a few minutes, okay? Um, because, as I said last week, you know, religion 
and the religious spirit wants us to try and reach perfection through our efforts. Okay, that we can, we can attain perfection, we can attain holiness by not sinning. Now, empirically, that's true, but practically, it's impossible. Okay, we cannot attain grace through our actions. Our grace comes through Jesus. Now, we can't ever become so pure that we are made righteous. First Corinthians 1.30 says, It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So Jesus is our redemption. He's the source of our holiness. He's our source of our sanctification. And yet at the same time, Scripture clearly calls us to make choices that lead us to Jesus and not away from him. So I'm just going to read off a few here so we, we, we get the, the, the importance of this. 2 Corinthians 7. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. In Romans 6.19, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 Right, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So these, these, um, these scriptures clearly don't let us off the hook. Right, that, our, that, our, that our choices have consequences. Scripture calls us into holy living. It calls us to make good choices. Right, but the, the focus is so different here. Because we're not... Uh, we're not trying to model external behavior patterns of a religion so that some religious leader can check a box and say, all right, you're good. You haven't sinned this week. Okay, but again, we choose not to sin because of Christ, out of relationship with him. I love uh, Matthew 15. Jesus is, is telling a parable. I'm just going to read the end where, where Peter says, inevitably what Peter does, which is explain this parable to us, Jesus. Matthew 15, 15. And one of Jesus' best lines in all of Scripture, are you still so dull? Really? Are you still so dull? <laughs> he shows his humanity so beautifully sometimes. Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Sin destroys. Right? Sin is destructive. It seeks to, to separate us from God, from intimacy with Jesus. But Jesus is far less concerned with these external things that we think we should do. And those things are often good, okay? But he's far more worried about our internal, our hearts, what is coming out of us, what is flowing out of us. So as we, as we talk about holiness and as we talk about you know, issues like strongholds, these words that may be a bit scary, these are, all, these are all about becoming closer to Christ, becoming better friends with him. 
I'm sure you've all found that you know, you've got a really good friend and you hang out a lot. You start to mimic some of their personality traits, some of their habits. Some of those might be really irritating. Okay? But you start to model them anyway. You know, when we spend time with Jesus, we, oh no, when we spend time with Jesus, we start, we start to model his character. We start to act more like him. And it becomes, again, far less about us trying to strive to be perfect, but it's just natural to choose that which is holy, that which brings us closer to the one that we love and the one that loves us. Okay, I want to keep saying this for the next few weeks until we really get it. Um, that last song that we sang, um, which is the words, I can't remember all the words now, but you know, come and consume me. I give you all of my heart. Um, when we talk about strongholds, and particularly tonight when I talk about control, um, that's really what I'm talking about. Are, are, we, are we willing to give Jesus everything? Or do we still want to have a few things that we, we keep in reserve, that we control? Will we give him everything? And finally, on, um, on holiness, um, you know, uh, Bill, when he, when he talks, you know, he, he often talks about the, and you've heard this expression, the now and the not yet of, of the kingdom. And we talk about miracles and we expect to see Jesus move in this church and we expect to see people saved and healed emotionally and physically. We expect to see the kingdom come. But we'll only see perfection of Jesus' power when he returns, you know, when the kingdom fully comes back. And there's something about, the, about holiness in this as well. Because um, we will only be perfect when Jesus returns and, he, and that final sanctification takes place. And, and we no longer are tempted to sin. But even in the now, we get these amazing scriptures. And I just want to read two more. 1 Corinthians 3.17 For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So again, I think I said this last week, this idea that God created a temple where his presence would come into the holy of holies, that one place that was sanctified enough for his presence, where, where one man once time a year could go and meet with him when he had been through ritual purification. And yet now, after Jesus' death, Scripture tells us that we are that temple. There's something about us that is permanently holy if the Holy Spirit is in us. And in case you haven't realized, the Holy Spirit doesn't kind of dip in and dip out. You know, he can certainly give you a deeper experience, but once he's in, he likes to stay. In First Ephesians, Paul writes, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before his throne. That we should be holy and without blame before his throne. And you could say, well, maybe Paul's just talking about that final time when we stand before the Father's throne, but that would make nonsense of when he says that we have access to the Father's throne now through the blood of Christ. That we have access to his kingdom. So even though we are not holy in everything we do, we are not perfect, only God is perfect, we are sanctified and made holy by Christ. Holy enough to contain his spirit. And of course, every day we repent that God will not remember our sins anymore and he will sanctify us again by the blood of Christ. So I want us to keep pursuing holiness. Um, and one of the... Well, this issue of strongholds. So forgive me if you've, you know, you've heard this. I won't tell the whole story. It's a short portion. But... Um, 
when we encounter the, this, this ministry where, where we, we learnt about the real power and authority of Christ and we saw just God do incredible things and we heard about strongholds, these parts of our lives where essentially the enemy just has a right to a part of us, through, normally through sin, either through our own sin or something, that's, you know, some, something that someone's done to us. Um, anyway, we encountered this ministry in a church in London and the man in charge of that ministry was... Um, very charismatic. And the Holy Spirit was moving incredibly powerfully through his church. Um, you know, so he would regularly see people you know, slain in the Spirit and have these really incredible encounters. Um, but he became increasingly frustrated because, because he, you know, he kept asking the Lord, why is it that these people come up and they're experiencing you and they, they're getting rocked to the point that they're wiped out on the floor and then the next week they're back again? And the same sin is still there, and the same struggle is still there. I know it's not you, because <laughs> you're holy, and you're meeting them. What's going on in my congregation's lives? What's going on in these people's lives? Um, and the Lord said, basically, that they have strongholds. They have areas of their lives they haven't given to me. So I'm meeting them, and I'm offering them everything. But, but they're parts that are shut off to me. Um, and, 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 and in many cases, we don't even know that we're doing that. In many ways, strongholds are just things that we've become accustomed to. Whereas that we are. We just think it's our personality. It's our upbringing. You know? um, but God is not content to leave us there. Um, in Hebrews 12, one of the more challenging scriptures in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12 verse 8, the writer for Hebrews says, If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness." And what, you know, what I've seen over and over again is the Father's love. He doesn't permit us to live in bondage. It's not his preference. He wants us to be free. And um, over the next few weeks, I've asked, um, I've asked Tyler to, to preach on the fear of man. It's a particularly icky one, um, which affects most of us in some way. Um, I think we're going to talk about rejection and abandonment. Ish. These other things. Um, and what I would encourage you is, um, in, my, in my family, it became a little bit of a joke. We, we talk about this, this feeling of sort of manifesting, is what we, we call it. When um, it's normally me and my wife chastising me in some you know, correct manner, and, and you, you hear something and you feel this, ugh, this reaction inside you, and you want to push back against it, you want to fight against it. Um, I've started to recognize this as a really good thing, that it's the, the stronghold starting to get uncomfortable. Um, it took a while, okay? <laughs> so it's not a nice feeling, but it took a while. So now what I've tried to become accustomed to is if someone says something up front and I have this ugh, reaction, um, the first thing I ask the Holy Spirit is, uh, what's going on here? Is this me? Why am I feeling this? And more often than not, it's the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, it's actually, that person hasn't said anything wrong. It's the thing in you that needs to be sorted out. And so I've started to treasure that feeling. It's not comfortable. It's not nice. 
But I've started to treasure it because I know that if I press in, God's going to bring me into a new place of freedom. And if I have a new place of freedom, I have more of Jesus. And that's just cool. Always. All right. So control. Um, Now, first sort of caveat when I talk about control. Um, I can't possibly unpack this whole thing tonight. Okay, I know having just spent time talking about something else. Um, but partly that's because it, it's, it's really subtle. Okay, and it's, and it's more often than not just a veneer that kind of covers other things. But, I, and, but the more I'd ask the Lord, can I just do something else first? I just felt him saying, talk about control. I want you to talk about this first. Talk about control. So, all right, I'll talk about it as best I think I can. But I think as we go through these other issues over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to feel control getting pushed. Okay? But I also do believe tonight that God already has freedom for some of us. So um, control is really subtle. There's, there's nothing, um, there's no kind of spirit of control in the Bible. Okay? But it's something that we see over and over again in Scripture. And I'm going to point to a few cases, and I'll tell you a few stories to hopefully illustrate this. Um, There is no definition of control either, so I came up with my own. I hope it makes sense. So I want us to think about control as ultimately the defense of those things in our lives and those parts of our hearts that are not under Jesus' rule. Yeah, the defense of those things in our lives and those parts of our hearts that are not under Jesus' rule, which is why quite often control just is, is um, bless you, control is, is a mechanism for a stronghold to defend itself. Okay, so let me tell you a really simple story, and maybe this will illustrate it, and I'll tell a more complex story. Um, so um, it, in England, you know, um, and, and Helga, you're from England, aren't you? Yes, um, and other places, yes. Um, so, uh, in, in our church in England, we, um, we, we had services once a month in the middle of the town, okay? We, our church was outside, real old English, you know, built in 980, one of those old English churches. But once, once a sun, one Sunday a month, we would meet in, in the middle of the community. And it was a chance for people who, who just were scared of coming to church uh, to come and just, you know, be in a less threatening environment. And it was always two or three times bigger than any other service that we had. And... Um, we, um, we had some amazing worship. Um, I thought, could feel that some of the congregation were just feeling a little bit weird about it. That service always set people off a bit because you had people who weren't really schooled in church. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. So those who wanted church to look a certain way, their control buttons were getting pushed the whole time. So um, on, the, on the Monday, I got a call from a woman in our church um, who... Um, had a habit of wanting things to look a certain way. And she said, can I come talk to you? I said, sure, come talk to me. Um, I'm doing a PhD. I haven't really got anything to do. So, um, so she came to my house, and I said to my wife, I bet you she's coming to talk to us about worship. And I bet you she's coming to talk about that one new song we sang, which was by Brian Johnson from Bethel Church. I bet you that's what it's about. Because it just felt kind of icky when we were singing it. And um, she came, and sure enough, she wanted to talk to us. And, she, and she, it was really clear, and as, as she was talking, I was asking Holy Spirit, what's going on here? And, and he just said, well, this is, this is just, her, she's trying to control the, the way we worship. 
and, she, and she's uncomfortable by what, where the church is going and the people that are starting to come. Um, and, um, and then he said, but this is just the religious spirit speaking. This is just the religious spirit. Um, just tell her where the song comes from. That was all he said. Just tell her where the song comes from. So, so I got on my phone, looked up the song, threw the words into Google, and lo and behold, the entire song, word for word, was a song. And so I said to this lady, um, you do realize that that song is just a song. They're just singing a song. And it was incredible because it was like this mist over her eyes. or There's this kind of barrier. It just went poof. And she just smiled. Great, she said. <laughs> and it's like, we should sing it again. <laughs> and then she left. And it was, it was okay, that was weird because normally those conversations are much harder. Um, and it was just controlled. She had this part of her heart that was just, was just that was still bound by religion, yeah? bound by a way of doing things. And, and it broke like that. It was amazing to see the Lord move. Um, here comes a baby. Thank you, darling. Um, excellent childcare at this church. Um, so, <laughs> um, so let me let me tell you another. Uh, let me tell you another story. Well, actually, let's let's look at a little bit of scripture first. Um, over the last you know few weeks, I've been we've we've talked about the Pharisees a bit, and we talked about Peter a bit, um, and, I, and I just wanted to kind of illustrate control and a different way of responding in our hearts where, where, where we see change. Right, so if you remember the Pharisees, they, they, they meet Jesus. Jesus um, tests the understanding of Scripture. Jesus has power to heal. He breaks their idea of what the law says. He heals on the Sabbath. Right, he does all sorts of things. His disciples do things which irritate the Pharisees. At every turn, the Pharisees have a choice to believe Jesus, to turn to Jesus to believe that God, Jesus is from God and to relinquish their control, to relinquish their power. And in their sense, their, in their, sorry, their case, their control is directly linked to earthly power. They control the entire religious system. They control the land. They control the people. If you look at Peter, Peter gets that vision eat from this sheet, the sheet that comes down with all these unclean things, eat. And, Jesus, and Peter says, no. Why? Because he's a good Jew. No. And God says, eat, no, eat, no. And God says, do not call unclean what I've called clean. And what is, you know, Peter doesn't say, Lord, you're breaking your covenant. He bends his will to this new revelation. He then gets people telling him, well, the angel tells him to go with the people. He then goes to Cornelius. He then meets a Gentile, a Roman, a centurion. He then sees the Holy Spirit fall on this man. Peter has the choice in that moment to defy God, just like the Pharisees did with Jesus. He has the choice because they are, they, this is going against everything that he understands. But again, he bends to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And this could cost him his leadership as well. You know, in a few chapters later in Acts, where he's defending what the Spirit has done, he's saying, this is, God has done this. 
This is not us. This is the Holy Spirit. You know, how can we argue with this? He bends. He doesn't try and control the situation. He doesn't try and manage the situation. He bends to what the Holy Spirit is doing. He forgoes control. He adapts his leadership to what is in front of him. Peter does get some things right. Yeah, we give him a hard time. He gets some things right. In my... Hmm. Sorry, I'm just looking at the clock, wondering what I can tell you. <laughs> so let me say another few examples. I think we can see it in Ananias when God tells him to go and pray for Paul. He's horrified, but he bends. I think we can see this with David, King David, when his wives, his family, his possessions are stolen and his men want to kill him. It would be really easy to take control of that situation and say, I am David, I have led you, let's go. But he bends to God and says, Lord, what must I do? It seems like a no-brainer that David should go after his wives and his children. But his first instinct isn't to control the situation, even though his life is at risk. His first instinct is to turn to God. Lord, what must I do? He shows a humility. I think we can see this um, with, um, with Joseph. Is it Potiphar's wife, Bill? Yeah. You know, um, again, Potiphar's wife being the controlling one in this case. She's trying to control him, trying to seduce him, and he rejects that control, and he stays committed to the ways of God. And I think, um, you know, uh, Bill, this is, what, this is one of the reasons why your testimony is so powerful as well. And if you haven't heard Bill's testimony, you need to, and you need to speak to him. Because when you encountered the Holy Spirit and you, you encountered the reality of the Holy Spirit moving and speaking, Bill had been a theologian for how long? Eighty-seven, so twenty-some, twenty-something years. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage to say that things I thought, things I've studied, things I've believed, I got it wrong, or there's more that I didn't appreciate. And Bill bent to the ways of God. It's a really powerful testimony. He didn't try and control the theology to suit his experience of what he wanted, what would keep him with favor with his colleagues. For one thing. And control is, oh, control is a key reason why so many churches don't experience the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we love to control our churches. We love to control our services. We love to control our people. And the Holy Spirit really, 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 really hates being controlled. In fact, it's quite impossible to control him. And over and over again, we, we hear accounts of the Holy Spirit moving in churches and people, the priests in charge, just shut down whatever the Holy Spirit is doing because it's too scary or too dangerous or too this or too that. And often they'll throw a theological label on it. But ultimately, it's just because they can't control him. In my own church in England that I mentioned before, before I got there, they lost two-thirds of their congregation because the priests in charge shut down what the Holy Spirit was doing. And people just left because the Holy Spirit left. <laughs> They followed him. So giving up control, I just want to add, is not passive. It's not a kind of whatever attitude. It's deeply intentional. Deeply intentional to give up our rights, our entitlements, 
<laughs> to submit our will to God. And obviously, we don't always know exactly what God wants us to do in every situation, okay? Uh, he does speak to us more than I think we, uh, we might think. But it's that hard attitude, like Jesus said, Father, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And an intentional commitment to the Father's will. Will we choose? Will we choose his way? So let me, talk, let me just tell a story, just trying to illustrate the subtleness of this. Um, so a f- a f- many years ago, um, and again, this is not about Matt, um, many years ago, I was, I was really horribly um, betrayed by someone in the church. And I'm a fairly competitive guy. I don't mind a little bit of conflict. In fact, I kind of enjoy it. Um, but you know, having conflict from people you expect is very different from when you're pulling the knife at your back. And um, I didn't blame Jesus for this. And it was clearly this person's choice. They did it. Um, but what I, what I noticed is after a year, it took quite a long time, but what I noticed after a year was that I was no longer allowing new people to get close to me. I, would only, I only had my circle of very close friends that I had a relationship with and I knew I could trust. And then after two or three years, again, longer, I still had a connection with Jesus. Obviously, I was still talking to him. I was hearing him. But I noticed that there was, just, there was, a, there was a lack of the intimacy that I once had. And, um, and I, I went, to them, went to him over and over again about this. And, and, um, and eventually, eventually, I heard him say, um, that I was refusing to allow myself to be vulnerable. And if I wouldn't allow myself to be vulnerable to the people around me, if I wasn't willing to truly love, because that's the nature of love, is to be vulnerable, then I wouldn't be able to encounter his love fully. And, um, and he started to talk to me about control. That my heart was guarded. I was still a nice guy. I still loved my kids, you know, I think. I was a pretty good chap in general. Um, but my relationship with God just cooled. And it was ever so slowly and slightly. And he said, you need to release control. You need to make yourself vulnerable. You need to stop protecting yourself. And it would have been great if when he said that to me, I said, sure, Lord, I'll do it. But it took me about a year before I was willing to say, all right, I'll allow my heart to be vulnerable again. I will love. And that means allowing students to get close to me again, people at church to get close to me. And it was so slow. I never, like I said, I never blamed God. But the thing is that this guy who betrayed me was spirit-filled. And it was kind of the one safety catch I thought I always had with people. That if they were truly spiritful, they wouldn't really screw up that badly. <laughs> I'm stupid. Because uh, after all, he's human. And he, he did something stupid. He made a mistake. But the problem was that I saw, well, even somebody spilled the Spirit isn't safe. So then even, maybe even the Holy Spirit isn't safe. And it's not something I thought consciously at any time. And it's until God started to show me that I'd started to control even how I related to him, just in case he wasn't safe. 
and it just stopped my, flatlined my growth for a couple of years, about two or three years, just flatlined my growth. And I had to lay that down. I had to say to Jesus, yeah, Lord, okay, I'll be, I'll be vulnerable again. I'll give you my whole heart again. So control, um, again, it's, it's a hard thing to see really clearly. It, it's, um, <laughs> actually, you'll recognize control really easily when you don't have it. When you're out of control, where do you turn? Because control is, is often rooted in unbelief. Things go wrong, and I can't trust God to fix it, so I have to control the situation. I have to do what it takes to protect this. If I don't act, things will fall apart. It's an unbelief in God's sovereignty, and it's an unbelief in God's love, and it's an unbelief in God's intimate work in our lives. Um, it's rooted in unbelief. It's rooted in fear, again. If I don't act, it, things will fall apart. And it just, it just slowly squeezes God out. Squeezes out his sovereignty. And that's really principally how I've experienced it in my life. Um, but um, I wanted to say as well, and, and, and we'll pray about this in just a minute or two, um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that there are, there are probably people in the room who have encountered really controlling people and been damaged by that. Um, you may have a father who's, who's really controlling, um, who yelled at you, who would discipline you unjustly. Not the discipline of a good father, but the discipline of an unrighteous father. He disciplined you because of rules that he had set in place. And you breaking those rules wasn't about you necessarily doing something bad, but that you were testing his authority. And so his control was about his authority. It was about his pride. It was him being respected. And I'm going to use two different genders, but these genders can be reversed very easily. Both apply to men and women. Um, You may have had a mother who manipulates emotionally. If you love me, you will do this. How can you do that to me? Don't you realize how much you're hurting me? Weeping, moaning, crying to manipulate you into changing your behavior. That emotional control. Some of you may even have had boyfriends or girlfriends who would do both of those things. You get those really sort of those horror cases of, you know, if you don't do what I ask, I'll hurt myself or I'll commit suicide. That's the kind of ultimate form of control. Maybe some of you have experienced that in this room. I remember hitting um, into someone's control when I was about 15. Um, when one of my coaches at school, who was a former major in the South African Defense Force, not a particularly nice man, um, wanted everything to be done his way all the time, every time. And one day I got too much for him. And he beat me up on, on the rugby field. And you know why he did it? I was too happy. I smiled too much. He had such control that, um, that joy in other people just set off his anger. It was astounding. His control, a facade for anger and hate and brokenness. He's such a broken man. Hmm. So, so control is manipulative. 
It's often working in fear, often trying to convince us to act out of fear. Um, and the antidote, <laughs> after all that heavy stuff, goodness, it does feel a bit heavy now, I apologize. Um, the antidote to control is humility and its vulnerability and its teachability. Ultimately, it's saying, God, I give myself to you. What do you, what do you want? What are you doing? And I've, I've had many moments in my life, including you know, with emotional people and the, 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 you know, the story I told from the church in England, that was a minor case, but when you're facing control, sometimes you'll face control, and you, you know, sometimes there are whole systems of control, and you won't be able to break those. But God is always with you in them. Always be asking, Holy Spirit, Lord, what must I do? What must I say? What's going on in this moment? And trust him to speak. But choose to step away from that mechanism of control, the power games that control plays. And trust God to bring deliverance. I want to finish with this... Um, Reading from Isaiah 57. 57 and uh, verse 15. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. Whether we have walked in control, whether we've been the victims of control, going before the Father with humility is the easiest way to be restored, the quickest way to be restored, and the best way to step out of these patterns. So I want us to pray. Um, we've got a few minutes. Um, and if you'll permit me, um, I. I just want us to take a minute, as we sometimes do, okay? And, and I, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit, is there a part of my heart that I haven't yet given to you? Okay. Now, like I said, control is really subtle. The enemy typically doesn't like to be exposed, okay? But the Holy Spirit can expose whoever he wants to tonight, okay? And whatever he wants to. So just let him speak. And the surest way to hear the Holy Spirit is to actually be vulnerable. If you say, Lord, please speak, but not about this, then it's harder for him. So to, if, if you're willing, um, take a posture of humility. Sometimes these things are so painful, it might be too much. But if you can, be vulnerable and just let the Spirit speak. And then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray a prayer of us of us giving our hearts to Jesus. Um, and this is as much about tonight as the next few weeks. And as we go through these next few weeks, it's this, this series of seeking more freedom that we will be positioned increasingly to say, Lord, get rid of this stuff. Take it off me. I want to know you more. Okay, so let's just um, let's position ourselves for now. And, and, um, and then Matt's just going to listen. There may be some more things that we, that we want to pray into directly about control. Holy Spirit, are you here already, Lord? I just ask that you would speak now.
speak with the, the, the gentle love of our Father. Lord, just show us, are there parts of our hearts that we, we haven't yet given over to you? Are there parts that we are, we are protecting, that we are controlling? Thank you, Lord. A couple of things I felt like the Lord was speaking um, that may apply to you, may not apply to you. Um, one was, was, you know, the spirit of control that, that tries to avoid the things of the heart. Uh, it doesn't allow your emotions to be seen. It kind of dodges conversations that would, would cause your heart to need to engage and to be seen. Um, another is, is avoiding conversation that would expose weakness or would expose sin in yourself. And this is, this is essentially is trying to control our image and refuse to allow others to see us as anything but the image of a perfect Christian. Uh, and in essence, not allowing anyone to know us, um, to be seen at all. Um, and then being skeptical of, of the Spirit moving in different ways, or ways at least that, that we're unfamiliar with, that are outside of our own experience. And this would be controlling how the Lord is allowed to move, um, which is a very silly thought when we phrase it that way. Um, so those would be things that apply to us living in the spirit of control. Um, and I felt like there was, there was a few of us that had, had grown up under this, the, the authority of a mother or a father that, that lived in the spirit of control like that. Um, and that it had, it had basically trained us that that's what it means to, to be led. That's what a leader does. That's what a mother or a father does. And that, that's also colored how we lead. And that's colored how we view the Lord. And I feel like the Lord wanted to reveal where that's been the case in some of our lives um, and, and basically break that perspective and, and reveal what a real father is like. Um, so I'm just going to lead us through repentance of those, those three first things um, and then responding to that last one. So just, just um, agree if, if it applies to you and continue to let the Lord speak um, if it doesn't. So Lord... Um, God, we repent of, of trying to avoid the things of the heart. We repent of, of not allowing others to, to see our hearts and, and trying to control our emotions. Um, we just lay down that period of control right now, Lord. God, we repent of, of trying to avoid conversation that would expose our own shortcomings and expose sin, uh, of trying to control our image and, and needing to be seen as, as a perfect Christian in order, to be, in order to feel valuable and significant. God, repent of that, that controlling spirit. And Lord, we also repent of, of being skeptical of, of the moves of the spirit or the alleged moves of the spirit that are different from how we've experienced you and, and trying to control the way that you move, Lord. God, we repent of that right now and, and we just surrender to you. You're allowed to do anything you want and move in any way that you want with us or in people around us. God, we receive um, your grace, your forgiveness right now for that. We surrender that spirit of control to you. And Lord, we just receive um, humility. We receive um, the freedom from your spirit. And um, we, we surrender those parts of our heart to you. Have your way with them, Lord. God, um, we acknowledge that that 
you know, for those of us that have that, that there's been misrepresentations of you in, in some of our mothers and fathers. God, we acknowledge that there were, that's been the case, that that was wrong, that that was not appropriate or justified um, or in any way representative of you. We just confess that right now, Lord. We acknowledge that, and um, God, we forgive those people in Jesus' name. We forgive those mothers and fathers that moved in a controlling spirit, that manipulated and misrepresented you, Lord. And, um, and we let go of, of where that's had a hold on our heart. God, we ask that you would come and you would change our view of mothers and fathers, of authority figures, and of you to accurately reflect who you are as, as good and patient and kind, as honest and, and open, Lord, as approachable. And, um, and Lord, we, we surrender ourselves, we submit ourselves to being people that embody that as well, to leading our own families and, and our, our communities in that same way, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You're good. One last, one last prayer. Lord Jesus, earlier tonight we sang about giving you a whole heart, giving you all that we are. So Lord, we, we repeat those words. We repeat that um, good action of our hearts, Lord, to say, take us. Take all that, that we have. Jesus, take, take the, the wounds. Take the, the hurt that we've experienced. Take the good with the bad. Give you our hearts, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would fill us, every, every part of us, every space in us. Lord, that we, we will no longer keep parts of ourselves under control. As if we need to be safe from you, Jesus. Because control only ever drives us from you. So Lord, we give your hearts now. We trust ourselves into your hands. Our loving and glorious Savior. And we ask, Lord, to bring us into more and more freedom. Bring us into more and more intimacy with you.